You are listening to the Firecracker Podcast with Tony Rico. Okay, thanks for joining us. And today we've got Coach Coach TJ Hushmanzada. Went from a former notoriety of being known as a as a as a pro star and a and a football player, and then in this softball world. And, and TJ, how many years now is this coaching? Because it goes ball? by fast, right? Travel ball one, two, three, four, five. This would be my sixth year. No, seventh, seventh. And can we say it feels like two or three? Goes by That's, fast. Is this my daughter's last year? It's gone by really fast. Yeah. So yeah. appreciate you coming in today. Really, what I want to do is uh, is like with all of our our podcasts, uh, let give people a chance to get to know you a little bit and talk a little bit about the game and some things like that. So kind of like in the insight to you, uh, I always want to start with with backstory. Kind of like you know, where do you come from? So if I was to ask you, just what was your childhood like? Uh, how would you describe that? That's dysfunctional i guess uh which isn't yeah. totally uncommon i mean yeah. it's, it might be more more common now than at the time i didn't think it was dysfunctional now looking back on it very dysfunctional mm-hmm. but i wouldn't change it for anything I, mm-hmm. I i actually enjoyed uh the way i grew up because you learn from those lessons and, and it kind of hardens you and makes you who you are that school of hard docs yeah you know? yeah you can have book smarts but if you got street smarts to go along with the book smarts then those, in my opinion, are the people that can kind of navigate through any type of meeting, mm-hmm. um, business, person they may, they may meet uh, because you can go both ways with it. Sure. Who, who would you say was your biggest influence growing up? That's the sad part is I would probably say no one. Um, I didn't have. It was literally mom on drugs pretty much my whole life. From the time I was 13. So does that mean you were cooking for yourself, taking care of yourself, doing yeah, a lot of I things? Yeah, I mean, there was no cooking. It was hustling and buying food. <laughs> so so give, I, me, give me an example. And so I would hustle and buy me and my brother's food to eat uh, whenever they were hungry. Gave them money, bought them school clothes. And so, I mean, so I'm you 13, were making 14. sure food was on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now don't get me wrong. My mom wasn't gone 365 right. days a right. year but right. anybody that has a mother that was on drugs i mean the consistency's not there the, right right the first and 15th she won't see her for about five six days after that and so those days you know it was it was on me and where was this where, where'd you grow up i lived in barstow and in texas now how about television uh sports stars anything any well i mean if you if we go to base it off of sports i didn't play sports really growing up mm-hmm. um but i was a cowboy fan um so I liked Dion, I liked Michael Irvin, but <clears throat> outside of that, I was a big boxing fan, but didn't really look up to those guys. So why didn't you end up in <clears throat> trouble? Or did you have um, your share and just not I, over the, the top, but you know? Yeah. Because I, a lot of times that's the that's the unfortunate outcome of, of not having. You get in little trouble. Um, I, I've been arrested once, uh, but it, I, I, I say I was lucky. But when you, by the grace of God, really, to be honest with you, because I've done some things that you shouldn't do. And by the grace of God, I, I didn't get caught for it. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get in trouble for it. And so, and people that know me, that grew up with me, we, we talk about it all like, I don't know how you made it. You think it. La- later on you realize that, you know, I, like I, I mentioned divine intervention, however you want to put it, like it only makes sense that there was something bigger looking over me because I I, I tried hard to screw this all up. So you don't a, a think about of, it. Part of a bigger bigger picture, right? Man, honestly, when you're out there in them streets, and this is how I thought, and I know a lot of people in the street, you think you're smarter than them. And I truly thought I was smarter than them. Like, I'm not going to get caught. Like, right. I'm smarter than them. Right, right. <laughs> They're not going to catch me. Right. And so, so hustling right away at a young age, then you already knew you could you could kind of kind of play with people and kind of get get the outcome that you wanted. But I, I honestly, I I was hustling, but I, I always conducted myself with integrity, not knowing what integrity was at the time. Right, I'm doing the right things by people, but doing the wrong things. If that kind of makes right, right. sense, no, I'm it doing, does. And right. so, right. I'm not gonna rip you off. I'm not uh So there's ethics to your game. Yeah, yeah. because if you're unethical, it comes back to yeah. get you. Yeah. And, and so I was very ethical if we can call it that yeah. in what I was doing and people appreciated it and they came back. Yeah. 
there, there are there are criminals with a conscience, you know, that, that, uh, that there are uh, rules to the game that they play by, and that's you know, and that's that's part of this this story too, because some of that backstory were were if we could uh, later on we'll get to some misconceptions and just people to understand passion and things, because I think that that's that's something when you talk about look, I'm principle based, I'm, I'm integrity based, so it's not a it's not just a loose cannon going off and there's it's unmanaged, but there's 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 something to it, right? And so I think that's an important part of one, it. Tony, I come from the slums, yeah. like. I don't know many people that grew up how I, I come from nothing. I'm walking around a house with kerosene lamps. People don't know what that is. Kerosene lamps, candles, lights cut off. I had lights in my name when I was probably eight years old messing my credit up because they've gone wow. through. When you grow up in the hood, your, your lights get cut off. Your power get cut off. They in your mama's name. Right. She puts it in your sister's name, put it in a cousin's name. They don't have no names to go to. Now it's your name. That's how right. it worked, how I grew up. And, and so eating a box of macaroni between me and my three brothers before right. I knew what a hustle was. Right. And so when I tell you I come from nothing, I come from absolutely nothing. And so everything I have, I appreciate. Right. I don't look down. To this day still. To, to this day. When I don't you... look down upon nobody because I was once them. Right. I don't care what you have. I'm. If you if you're nice to me and you treat me the right way, I'm gonna return the favor. Now, if you're an asshole, I'm gonna be an asshole right with you. I'm not. That's just my personality. Right. And so, but going going from a have not to a have, you know, you don't forget the have nots. You don't forget what it's like to be a have nots. And I think that's something that you can't. You know, a lot of people from the outside because. It's uh, when you're a public persona, it's just an easy thing to do. You know, you, you're in, in softball. I'm perceived as a have now. So who, who cares about my story, my backstory, how long I live month to month, blah, 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 yada, yada. You become a have they look in at people's today. perception. So now I'm all about the money and I'm all about these things. But then in, in reality, there's a backstory to that. And being a have not, you okay. appreciate what you have. You're all about the money. And if you are, who's not? That's how you survive. I mean, Anybody that says so-and-so is all about the money, tell them to go to work and tell their boss they would work for less money. I mean, that's just what it is. Okay. And so I don't get mad at another man or woman's hustle because everybody hustles to a certain degree. Yeah. And it's, oh, I'm about to, you are too. Yeah. If you had a job, and this is who, whomever saying this, and you're making 80 grand a year, and you love your job, you love the people, and then somebody turns around and offers you 150000 a year, you're leaving because it's all about the money. Right, right. And, and that's just what it is. And, and so It's part of the equation. You don't No matter what level you're at, even if it's, if it's for the price of a box of macaroni or, right? It's Never knock another man's hustle. Because we can't live without it. People that knock the hustle are upset that they actually didn't think of the hustle. And, and so, God, I wish I thought of that. Oh, I wish he would have brought me in on that. Yeah. And it is what it is. So is any part of your story to people now, as I would want to explain, you know, the concept of a lot of what we do is like, look, you can be successful too. Like, don't just hate who has. I believe you can be successful, you know. And, and, oh. and I, I, whether it's guidance that someone never got, just a little tip on that. But to, uh, for me, it's important to be able to pull people into our success and, and, and to allow them to experience something that they have. You know what happens is people fail a few times and they give up. Somebody sent this to me and this could, couldn't be the truth. Like a child learning to walk will fall a hundred times. Do you think that child thinks in his head, man, walking isn't for me, I'ma give up. Hell no. The child keeps getting up to walk. Cause guess what's gonna happen? Eventually I'm going to walk. So the child can fall 100 times, 200 times, but it's going to keep trying until it gets there, which is walking. Right. And, and so we can get there. And that's built into us you because just, it's when we consciously think about how we react to things. That's when, if that's you've when been they're not getting up. to give up, you're going to give up. It's in every human to go, go, go. And that child is no more proof because they learn to walk and they fall, they fall, they right. fall. And they keep trying. Right. And, and so keep going. If you believe in something, go, go, go. You might fail, 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 but you got to be like that child. Right. And eventually I'm going to walk. Right, right. So so 
going coming from this upbringing and the childhood that you had, when did when did you start to see and and there was take people taking notice on your athletic <laughs> ability? So when did you no sports really as a young boy, but high school? Uh, okay, I'll go through it really the, quick. Yeah, um, how the football? How the how the how'd you end up in the NFL? How was grow it up? There? I played one year of Pop Warner. Um, I don't know how old I was, but I was in and out. Not every game, not every practice, because I didn't have rides to practice. Somebody paid for me to play. My uncle did, matter of fact, my Uncle Anthony. Um, and so get to high school. My freshman year did not play. My sophomore year did not go to school at all. So missed my whole sophomore year. My junior year, I went out for the football team, but – I'd been grown in my eyes since I was 13, 14 years old. Had a coach that, Coach Menares, Mexican dude, took no shit from nobody. And he took no shit. And so we would get into it, and I'd be kick, kick me off the team. I'm like, God, I want to play. But I wasn't abiding by what he wanted. Get your, You got to go. Right. Okay, I got to go. So my next year came out again. And we butted heads because – I was used to doing things my way because I never had nobody tell you me what to, to do. Yourself, so right? when he started yelling and telling me what I'm yelling back, like we can fight. And Coach Menards was a D lineman, so that wasn't a fair fight, but I thought it would have been. And so <laughs> obviously that worked out. Played in high school my last year, um, set out a year. Coach Menards played at Cerritos College. We had a receiver on the team that's my best friend to this day. Um, was highly recruited, didn't pass the SAT, went to Cerritos College. I went with him because I was with him every day. I was teaching him how to So hustle. if he doesn't go? If he doesn't go, go, it doesn't happen. And so I get to Cerritos. I'm a third-team receiver. I was a running back in high school. But after football season in high school, I dropped out. I don't even have a high school diploma. I dropped out of school, got back in the streets. Um, and so go to Cerritos. I was a running back in high school. Watching TV, I thought all the running backs were big. So when I get the Cerritos, I had made my mind up. I'm going to play receiver. Get there. I'm bigger than all the running backs. Right. But I'm third team. My buddy that went, he was a first team receiver. He broke his foot. The backup receiver was from Compton. Got arrested. Here I am. I start the first game. First play of the game, I bombed somebody for like 70 yards. <laughs> and the coaches were like, oh, right. I think we got something. Right. And just from there, it just took off. Coach Mazzotta was a coach at Cerritos College. After my first year, he was like, you're going to get a scholarship. You might want to really focus on school and get your AA. And How did that register? Because I, I went to Cerritos, uh, and how did that register at that point? Did it kind of stick, or was it kind of like, ah, okay, thanks, coach? No, you know? it registered because this is – anybody that knows me knows I – 100% believe in myself and everything I do. I think I'm the best at everything, whether I am or I'm not. I, right. But you start with that, right? And yeah, I think right. nobody's better than me in anything. Right. And so when he said that to me, I was like, bet. I'm going, I, 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 I feel like I'm a really smart guy. I just didn't go to school. And right. so once that happened, I went and talked to every teacher I had. And I tell kids this that I talk to, I know I haven't been a student that you know, I haven't been a student that's present, but from here on out, I'm going to be present. I'm going to uh, give myself a chance. And, and that was 18 years old? I might have been 19. 19? And I want to get to college. And, and so I'm letting you know that if you don't see me holding myself accountable, please hold me accountable because that's my goal and that's wow. why I'm coming to you. And, and so I did that. I got my AA. I was the number one ranked player. Um, in junior college coming out and went to Oregon State. Thought I was going to go to SC. Did not go there, which was a blessing in disguise. Now, are people entering your life, agents? No, not in no, junior not, college. No, no, nothing so. No. Okay. It, back then, it was different. You right. know, this is late 90s. Right. Uh, no social so no, media, no, obviously. No, no surrounding. No, none stuff. of that. Yeah, Once so, you get to right. college, after, then they'll start kind of mingling around and trying to see if you would be interested they'll slide you a couple dollars here and there like trying to bribe you so to speak uh but so finished up at cerritos and up to went to oregon, oregon state. state yep went to oregon state played uh two years there and then got drafted to the Bengals. and a pro career of how long 12 years what was your what was your first year in the nfl like 
Oh, easy transition. You being you. Uh... I think it was easy, but it goes back to how I think. Right. You know, I was like anybody else. I was unsure. But I wasn't unsure because what I just said earlier, I feel like I'm the best. Right. And I thought unsure I, because it was a new experience. It was and very you new. Right, right. Yeah. Right. And after the first day of practice, I called my agent. I called Casey, who was my girlfriend at the time. That's my wife. And anybody that knows me know this is true. I said, I got on the phone with both of them and I was like, I'm making a team. I'm the best motherfucker here. <laughs> and it was after one practice. I saw what everybody had to offer. Sized that was at everybody my, up. I right. sized everybody up that was at my position. And I said, oh, I'm the best one on you the team. Right. Whether I was or I wasn't. Right. Sure. That's what I thought. And so that we, we tell our players all the time, the definition of certainty is the state of being without doubt. So Tony, I would say in my experience with you, you define certainty, which is a great place to start with. You, this, don't, you don't execute visions if you don't believe in something, right? And this is what me going into softball has helped because obviously if you don't have good players, you can't win, period. But what I don't know for the game, which I have learned, I affect these kids from a mental perspective. Um, I try to give them that belief in themselves. I give them tons of analogies. Right. Um, because once you get here in travel ball, your team is at the highest level. We're trying to get there, but we've been playing nothing but the best teams year after year after year after year is, man, you better believe. If you don't believe in yourself, you can't play on my team. If I ask you who's the best player on my team and you don't say me, you got to go find another team. Right. You might not be, right. but you damn sure better think it and believe it. Right. And, and so that's what I bring to my team is that unfiltered belief in yourself right. that base is loaded, down one run, who's up to bat? Who who do you want to be up bat? And what's in that player's mind? You better I'm believe. going to hit it hard, right? Yeah. Right. Right. And if you fail... Ah, it ain't nothing she did. It so was the, the proof in that, TJ, I will tell you uh, to just hop into that one for a minute in that direction is the uh, amount of players that you've had with you for quite a few years. And so there's always a testimony to certain coaches when uh, families, coaches, players on the other side see something and then they're quick to judge you this or that. And then you ask the players and then you go right to the players. So what do you think? And I, I could go through four to five coaches historically that were perceived a certain way. And when you went to their players, the players like absolutely love them. And that testimony is extremely important because they they wouldn't be there that long. Longevity is hard to pull off in in, in, uh, in travel ball and having that. Uh, I don't think loyalty is the, the term I like to use, but just having people stick with you. And I, and I want to get back to that. But back to the NFL, once you got in and asking you about your first year, so were you approachable by veterans? Was there a veteran 20-year person coming up and said, hey, so just, just you might want to think about this. A lot of times there's just that, that voice of experience. Did you get any? We were a little dysfunctional with the Bengals uh, when I got there, unlike any other organization. As I continued to play, I saw that looking back. But um, my personality is what I said earlier. If you treat me right, I'm treating you right. And... And anything in life, if you treat people right and you do right by people, they're going to gravitate towards you. And, and so the vets on the team gravitated towards me, the little rook, right away because of who I was and who I was as a person and how I conducted myself. And, and so I have vets 10, 11, 12 years. Like when you fly, rookies get to the front. I was in the back with the vets because we was cool. They they right. they accepted me just right. because of the it's way. Kind of like a freshman hanging out in senior square it, in high school or something. The you're, way that I accepted. moved, the way that I moved and I conducted myself, they they accepted that, and, and so they they were rocking with it, and, and it it just kind of it grew. I don't drink. I've never smoked anything a day in my life. I've never done a drug a day in my life, and, and so. Guys that did smoke, that's cool. Guys that did drink, that's cool as well. And so, you know, we go out, I'm looking after them. Bro, come on, I'll drive you home. Or, come on, nah, nah, you're not buying it. And they saw that. Right. And I didn't want nothing from them. We teammates, you a vet. I see you drunk. I'm not going to let you do this. Let's go. And they appreciated that. And, and so... It just so even then were the the <laughs> ethics. I mean, you grew up the way you grew up, and you had to do what you needed to do to get what you needed. But even 
this whole time. You've, you've got an ethical storyline behind it, and you're, you're looking yeah. after your teammates. That's just as long as, again, and when you're on a team, for the most part, everybody treats each other the right way for the most part. Not everybody, but the majority of guys. And, and so that's just how I was. That's how I am. Um, I'm nice to everybody. And people that meet me, to, but if you want to go there, then I can go there with you. And right. perception, there are people on the outside, oh, my God, that guy's crazy. Right. No, you just saw the crazy part of me. You right. didn't see the cool right. part right. of me. Right, right, right. And, and so, but, yeah, it, it was uh, the first few years, you just kind of kind of feel your way, find your way. And like anything, guys want to see how you are, who you are as a person, how you conduct yourself. And once they see that, you're accepted, so to speak. I think I felt like I was a leader on that team, and I was barely playing. So now let's let's fast forward uh, x amount of years going forward, and now you've got these young rooks coming in, and you've been in the and you, and you see, I'm sure there are some that you saw yourself in them, right? And so yeah, you, I, I imagine you took that role as well too, right? And having yeah, some you conversations try to, you and, try to mentor and you know them. when their ears are closed, when somebody doesn't want to listen, you're not going to waste your breath. You you talk to them three four times, and once you see they're not listening. You just you leave it on. alone. Yeah, you because some guy you just leave it alone, yeah. and it's you try to give guys away. I try to I give guys advice. I still do it to this day, um, but some guys they don't want to listen, and that's okay. Right. That that's okay because you you can't help everybody, and you can't convince everybody that your way is the right way. It right. might not be, and that's for you, the person, to find that out. And you have to feel good the fact that you just made an effort. And yeah, it, you, and you it is what it is. You try like. Rookies, I don't care if you're a first-round pick or you're a free agent. I'm, I'm going to treat y'all both the same. And that's not common in the NFL. Everybody gravitates to the higher-profile guy. Right. And I wasn't like that. Like, I'm friends with guys that played two years, right. maybe one year. Right. And we're still friends to this day. And I had somebody send me a message the other day and said, man, I really just sitting back going over my career. I played three years in the league, and you treated me. Like I was a first round draft pick, man, and I'll never forget you for that. Right. And like I would buy it once big. I got money, I would buy guy suits because I had a guy buy me a suit. Darnay Scott bought me a suit. And so I paid it for it and I would buy the young guy suits here and there. Not everybody. If you're gonna be an asshole, no suit for you. Right. And so but if you were trying to do things the right way, I would buy you suits. I'd invite you to my house for Thanksgiving. I let guys live in my house in off season, and I was in California. They lived in my house in Cincinnati. Some tore it up, some right, didn't. Right, right. <laughs> and so it's just just helping guys out. Now, once you got into the big contracts, right? So now you have uh, the affordability. And so what, what was that like as a young man? How old were you when you got your first big contract? Twenty. Seven turning twenty eight. So, what was that like in your hands? Because it's like success. People have to adapt to success, whether it's you know playing success, coaching success, financial success. So, what was that like with your background? And for now, me, it and was now boom. For me, it was still nothing. ethics. Like you yeah. still applied yourself, you, and so you just have more money. That that's all it is. You can buy things. That so in you the end, buy. that mindset that you had that was still. You know, you had a, a principal. You were principal based. So even when you got your first contract, not the initial, let's let's spend it. Let's this. Let's I didn't. I got two big contracts. I had no celebration, no party for either one. It was just like I expected it. And so now that it's when here, you got your first big one, did you already have a good uh, financial staff around you, planner, everything? No, no. So. My this was my. Uh, this is how I lived my rookie year. I was supposed to get released. But my mindset, obviously, I didn't. So I lived pretty much like I was going to get cut every year. My rookie year, I made two hundred nine. I remember base salary. That was my rookie salary, two hundred nine thousand a year. Um, after taxes, my tech, my checks were probably just under nine grand a week. How about when you got your first check? I was, was excited. That, was that a realization from it was? I was like, I couldn't. Like that was the first check. The first check I ever got in my life outside from a Pell Grant in college was NFL. I had never wow. had a job before because yeah. I've been hustling my whole life. Yeah. And, and so I was like, wow. We called up a, a serious pinch and me so moment. I, Man, I, I, like, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I didn't even cash it or deposit it. I kept it for a long time. Literally, I had all my checks from my rookie year in my backpack. And I was showing the uh, Wow. I was showing a player development guy in Cincinnati named Eric Ball. He was like, bro, 
deposit that. <laughs> I'm like, I deposit it when I get home. But I was like, I wasn't spending money. So I tried to live every year like I was getting cut. So my rookie year ended, I had like 70 grand in the bank. I thought that was good. My second year ended, I had like 180 grand in the bank. My she's not she wasn't my wife but my girlfriend's grandmother was like you need to buy a house i'm like i ain't buying no house i got a hundred and seventy thousand i'm keeping this money she forced me to do it bought a house in chino hills going into my third year put a hundred thousand down i was mad because i only had 70. <laughs> and i paid 400 grand for oh, that man. house two years later i sold the house for 840. and i'm like wow we own a something <laughs> Because, you know, she was a teacher and she had accumulated right. property right. as being a teacher. Right. And, and so <laughs> I was like, wow, this is pretty good. And so I tried to live every year like I was going to get cut. And if I got cut, I had money You're in the bank okay. Tell, OK, I'll decide what I'm going right. to do. But I got a little time. Right. And after my fourth year. And that's more preparation, not a. Because you could have the mentality too, hey man, the poorhouse is just around the corner. So no matter how much I have, I've been there. Man. So that's only, that's always right there. You live in the slums. I grew up in Section 8. I mean, I've been living in Section 8. Somebody got killed in my house. We got kicked out. So we had to move. You in Section 8, you have something like that. They put you out. And so somebody got shot and killed in my house, in my house, in the living room. We got kicked out. So now we got to move. And I'm like, I can't go back to this. At that time, I had two kids. I had Carrington and Kennedy. And so uh, felon wasn't an option. Right. I had two kids. And, and so going into my fifth year is when I signed my deal. And I was like, ah, I'm good from a financial standpoint. Right. But God, I got to get more. And so I was just always self-motivated. Um, to try to make as much as I can to be the best player that I could be. And if I could do that, the financial aspect, it's going to come. So you weren't this wild horse loose cannon that people had to continue to tell you, no, don't do this. This again, this goes back to kind of your upbringing. And, and so why you didn't end up on that, was it a 30, 30 where they, it was a basketball and football players. And you know, one guy's got uh, eight different child support payments to eight different, you know, buying their brothers and sisters houses. It was just, Can't it just do they, it. they didn't know what to do with it. Right. So they just boom. And, and now they have nothing. You know and what? I'm sure you've seen that story. They know guys know what to do. They just feel like, oh, if you if you ask me for money and I tell you no, they're going to say you changed. Uh, I would hope I would have changed. Yeah. I would hope. Don't we all mature? And when but you that's not their mindset. When you mature, you change. Somebody once told me this years and years ago about guys in the NFL. If a guy in the NFL asks you to borrow money, you have to tell them no. And I'm like, why? If a guy can run through millions, what can you possibly give him right. that's going to help him out? Right. And when he told me that, I never forgot it. And I have no problem right. telling people no. No problem. Right. Like I will people won't even ask me for money anymore because they know they're gonna get it. And that's no. important for people that either have or someday will, or so let's say our players, you know, if they go on and you can help it. people out. Right. If you ask me, let me borrow a couple thousand dollars for two weeks, I'll tell you, why can't you wait two weeks? I'll give you this money. Right. I know I'm not getting it back. Don't ask me again. Right. Right. If you ask me again, I'll tell you no. That's what I do. Right. I'll give it to you. Don't ask me again. Because if you can give it back to me in two weeks, why can't you wait two weeks? Right. Right. And so I have no problem telling people no. And some people will say, oh, you changed. I probably have. Right. I'm, I don't live in the slums anymore. I can buy what I want, which I don't do. My kids will live, which is my goal, much better than I did. And that's all I cared about. Did you bring anything from your childhood? you have anything in your house, something that you uh, keepsake, anything that you just... Nah, I mean, all, we were, was moving around too much. And yeah. so you don't, at least for me, I don't have items that were just treasure chest type of things that I... We moved around too much. You made your own toys or whatever. I mean, it was, right. yeah, it was, it was so much moving around and house to house and apartment to apartment. It was living with my grandma, living with my mama, living with my grandma. Right. And, and so it was, it was too much moving. Not so none moving. of that. So going, going through your career and now reflecting on your career, if I was to ask you like, what, 
it was either your defining or your greatest moment in the NFL? I don't know if I have a greatest moment because I wasn't on teams that had defining moments, but my greatest moment was just making it and playing as long as I did. And being on the field, looking around, seeing the crowd, that's you're you're there. It, it was once I got there, I expected to be there. It wasn't I wasn't in awe. I wasn't like I can't believe I'm playing in the league. Um looking back on it, you kind of reflect and, and drive down that road a little bit, memory lane, you're like, wow, I can't believe I made it. And you could have continued to play. Yeah, I probably should. I could have and I should have played probably 14 or 15 years. But? My kids started playing softball. <laughs> and here we go. And it was. So let's talk about that ad addiction. <laughs> they started playing softball and I wanted to still play, but I wanted to be, I don't know my dad, never met him. Right. So you knew and, you were going to be there. Yeah, right. like that's important to me. Right. I don't. I could have a billion dollars if I don't have. If you don't have a relationship with your kids and your family when you die. It is what it is. Right. And so I would rather have that. My last year with the Raiders, they were playing, and I caught myself at halftime. Like I go, grab my phone and say, uh, "Man, what's the score? Did they get a hit?" And I caught myself standing on the sidelines like, I wonder how their game is going. And this is the truth. And so, and this is rec ball. Yeah. Um, so seven, eight, six. No, they started later than most. Okay. Carrington started at 11 and Kennedy started at nine. Okay. And, and so I was like, I got to help them. Right. So I got to stop because I would go to practices wow. in the off season. And Jason Pantages was one of the first guys that I met in rec ball. Really? Yeah. And I would go to certain wow. practices, and they would be doing certain things, and I didn't know baseball. And I'm like, that can't be right. Like, you, I don't, athletes don't move like that. You don't do that type of stuff. Right. That can't be right. And so I felt like people were going to be teaching my kids the wrong thing. If it's going to be wrong, let it come from me. Right. And so I just started coaching. I didn't have to work. And so – I would go to certain practices. Uh, honestly, who helped me out a lot um, was T-Bone. T-Bone helped me out a lot because Kennedy hit with him. Mm -hmm. And I would just. And helped you in that he showed you the structure, the template. It wasn't even a structure. It was like. And that's him and Doug. Him and Doug. It was like I text T-Bone like, hey, T-Bone, if this happens, what should this person do? And he would text it back to me. And we would get on a board, and I'm like, what happens in this? How should you do this? And he would show it to me. Nice. And so, and he knows this, too. Yeah. He knows he's helped me. Yeah. And so he would do this all the time. And so once somebody shows and tells me something, I got it. Doug and T-Bone showed me the little teardrop leadoff. Never forgot it. Right. Um, when my daughter's going to Lost Sal, I go up there and watch practice, see things Rob do. Ah, I got it. Right. My daughter played with Gabe Garrett. See things he, right. I got it. That's a, and, and good, so, that's a pretty good collection. And so I was able to pick certain things up, certain things that I didn't like, I did not use. Um, and certain things that I liked that I used, and certain things that I didn't see people doing, I was like, I'm gonna try this. So how did you dis how do you describe? So I wonder, okay, you have an opportunity to continue playing where they were was the front office of the team just and your agent just respectful that that's what you want to do, or did they kind of look at you like you what? You want to No, it was more so They'll say, okay, I get a call, and a team wanted me to play. They called me like mid-August. Training camp was just ending. It was like, uh, can you get in shape? I'm like, I ain't been working out. I'll, I'll, I'll start working out. And then I'll start working out because I did want to play. But TV messes you up, and it was like, you got to go to a good team towards the end of your career. And now I say, a good team doesn't need me. That's why they're a good team. But you wait for a good team. Right. A good team didn't call. <laughs> it was all the bad teams. Right. And I said, no. Season start, regret it. Next year, same thing. Season start, regret it. And But I was cool because I was preoccupied with my kids. Right. And so it was, so it was just. kind of a transition time then for, that it took a, a couple years. And then, and then, then full-fledged softball coach and now – what i mean even at home or yeah more in the backyard like what was the we would uh go in the front yard um work on georgia rajo take him georgia's fielding class learn from him on how to it's quite uh, an impressive list george 
um, the reason my daughter plays shortstop because he told me that's what she should play. I didn't know what she should play. He told me Carrington wasn't an infielder. Put her in outfield. All right, Carrington, you go into the outfield. Yeah. Um, she's a shortstop. She moves well. She has a good arm. Yeah. Okay. So I learned from him doing certain things, and it was just we go to the park. I hit him balls. At that time, I was able to pitch to him with no net in front of me mm-hmm. and be able to mm-hmm. have quick enough reflexes. Did you make the decision before you learned the hard way to use a screen at some point? Oh, I a... got stitches. I got hit in the eye twice. I got two sets of stitches. You realize that's not a badge of courage. That's I, a, I got that's two a... sets of stitches, and that's when I realized like they're just getting too strong for me. Like literally crushed me one time. Like wow. I literally thought I was going to die. I got like. And neither of them uh, wanted to pitch? They did pitch, both of them. So you're catching two? Yes. And that was, that's when the site. How long did that last? It lasted quite a bit. A couple years? uh, Yeah, a couple years at least. So so you got to be the dad on the bucket then. Carrington um, had to frame the pitch. Somebody told me she should pitch because of her limbs. So I was like, all right. We started her pitching. And, oh, you got a sister. You're going to pitch too. And so Kennedy started pitching, and Kennedy just threw extremely hard at a young age. And so in rec ball, I coached the team. We win all the time because Kennedy would right. just overpower everybody. Right. Um, and then we got to the point where it was I tried to give them my personality. We're going to do this every day. You got to be – the people that were giving my kids lessons made big money off of T-Bone. I was coming two, three times a week. I was giving T-Bone so much money. It was ridiculous. And so – Because you were just trying to provide for them. And Carrington and, and was with, hitting with me, even Doug. I was giving Doug and T-Bone so much money because I'm like, we got to play catch-up now. Right. We're behind these kids. Yeah. And so we were going to lessons a lot weekly, a lot. And – uh and you say giving them your personality, but your daughters are your daughters. Your daughters Meaning, have... they got to go to school. So we come home, you get home, do your homework. All right, we got to go outside and do softball every day. And the pitching stopped because I told Kennedy, I said, uh, she had finished the season as our best pitcher. And Grace was on our team. Go figure. And Kennedy can't touch Grace now pitching. But I said, the day... You don't ask me to pitch three times a week. You're going to stop. I'm not asking you to pitch anymore. I'm not going to force you to go out. You're going to have to ask me. So season starts in September. She's asking me for about two weeks. Third week, she doesn't say anything. Fourth week, she doesn't say anything. Just let it go. Awesome. And it just kind of, it it was just Remember gradually that, pulled Remember away. Yeah. Um, I didn't force her to do it. I was kind of upset. Um, but again, but she, there's that's this what inside she something that you have that says, look, man, it's not about what I want more than what she wants. That's what she wanted. And I'll be honest, like I was hard on her and my team coming up. And then as you get older, I pull back. People say, oh, man, you've calmed down so much. Oh, I'm still the same. They don't make the same mistakes but the, they but once the, made. But the experience that you gain as a player, as a coach, as a parent, that, that experience stands for something. So what would you say now seven years into this is the biggest thing you've learned in seven years and how you might be different from where you were the first year? For me, this is just me personally. The biggest thing I learned is, and I, I'm still learning this, is <laughs> don't let every bad call seem like it's the end of the game. I have a hard time letting that go because what happens is what I did three years ago, umpires still think I'm that same person. And even I got thrown out this past summer and all I said, I, and I was antagonizing the umpire, but I wasn't talking to him. I was like, girls, it should only be one zero. Don't worry about what just happened. He threw me out, but I was talking so he could hear me because I felt he made two bad calls. Didn't say anything about those two bad calls. But that third one, I was like, don't even worry about that. It should only be. He threw me out. And little stuff like that is like, oh, they're going to go back to what I did two or three years ago. And and so that's probably the only thing is um, every call that goes against us, 
it's not the end of the game. You got to score one run to win anyway. Right. And so if right. he gives them one, that's okay. We got to get and, one. And, it, and it, what it is, it's, it's not that in, in the internal competitiveness that you had, which is why you excelled and why you're the player and the person that you are, but it's a learned behavior. And, you know, politics isn't something that we grow up wanting to learn about or be part of, I mean, you know, unless you have a politician's mind, but it's the politics part of the game. And just as we say to our, our players, there's a learned behavior inside the professional mindset, right? So there's those things that make you special, but there's still a professional etiquette. There's a professional behavior. And even that doesn't mean everything's always straight laced and boring. Like what you see in a lot of like major league baseball managers, very bump, nothing, just stoic, but there's balance to that. So now you have this, we have this perception of TJ, you know, and that mm -hmm. he's going to get kicked out of a game. And, and again, in the years that I've known you, that's part of why I wanted to have this discussion so that we can get to the insight of kind of what happens because when you're passionate about the call, right? Passionate about what just happened because there's this thing in your head that is like, this is unacceptable. Like what just happened yes. is unacceptable. Yes. So there's that because that starts as I've told the story over and over again. It was, it was unacceptable for, um, and I would just say a, a, a girl to ask for slow rollies and kickball to me, that was unacceptable. So I'd punch her in the arm and say, you have to have baby bouncies. You're never going to kick the damn ball to the, to the outfield on slow rolly. That, taking slow rollies was unacceptable to me. And that, and then, you know, my teacher through conferences was like, uh, Tony, so we get the drive, we get that you want to win. We get that you're a leader, but punching someone in the arm is, you know, and that's, that's my, ch that guy's still in here. I, that's, you don't win without that. You don't, you don't win without something on the inside of you, but it's part of what learned, uh, what we need to learn. So, uh, if we were to ask like, what's, what's the biggest misconception about you from people that, that see you on the field and, oh, and have a, they think I'm crazy. Yeah. And, but to me, I don't, the show, I don't lose players. Like players leave my team because they don't play. And I've probably, since I've had this team, had five or six girls leave my team in seven years. Yeah. Which, which is, and that's an important fact or testimony again, for all coaches, because again, we're, we, these conversations, uh, entertain, educate, uh, enlighten, but softball, there's a lot of education that's needed. And that's something that I want families to, to look at, you know, there's the intentions, there's the, uh, things that happen, but look on the inside of the story of people, because here's, here's another indicator for me, your relationship with your kids. So when someone has an assumption or they want to pass judgment and then they want to say that it's this character or that character and you say look man look at him and his kids like so wherever you think this doesn't stop it does stop somewhere and you're talking about passion in the moment i've always said this like, so you have to understand that this guy had to line up against guys that were trying to take his head off i'm a competitor in front of, in front of how many thousands of people and 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 you had told me this before that you're, you're going to talk shit to that guy right there and you're still going to catch the damn ball right that's just that's my personality right in softball you <laughs> There's going to be bad calls in almost every game yeah. for you and against yeah. you. Yeah. And you just have to learn to deal with it. I'm getting there, but I haven't gotten there yet. Um, I'm hard on my kids. I demand a lot out of them, but I have fun with them. Right. And the parents that have been on other teams and then they come to my team, they see like, they get it. wow, girls that have left my team have immediately tried to come back. Everyone with the exception of one kid. Right. And, and you've seen that that's part of the process too. That open door is like, look, so don't burn the bridge. It's like a, hey, you it's go. Like a relationship. Right. Oh man, my husband or my wife, I can't deal with them no more. And then you go get somebody else and you're like, oh, let's see if I can uh, reconcile this divorce. Yeah. And not saying that it's that great. The grass isn't always greener. It's we not say that always, right. I'm not perfect. Right. I, I get on my kids, but the parents see and the kids see that I genuinely care about them. Right. And I'm giving my kids lessons in life because they, they, they're young ladies that will be young women. And I give them lessons on how I Reality, was. Right? Listen, you're a pretty girl. Even if you're not a pretty girl, you're a girl that has a quality about them that somebody's going to like. And I'm telling them exactly what it's going to be. It's an uncomfortable conversation for the dad of a 1400 and 1600 kid, but it's something that in the end, they're going to appreciate that more than teaching them how to hit a curveball. Tony, 
at 14, 80% of them are having the conversations with their friends anyway. And so let me give it to you. Don't take, I'm giving it to you from somebody that was it, that lived it. And this is how it is. And Don't, when you do talk about reality, you, you bring the parents in. You, I, they, they're hearing, I, if they so want to come on, if they want to come and listen, don't be locker room talk. Yeah. Don't don't be talking to locker room. Um, all we want is one thing, and it's you can think you're the prettiest girl in the world. Give it to me. And if you're real pretty and I like you, I'll take it six, seven, eight times. I'm gonna go talk about soon as soon as I get done with you. Hey, bro, guess what I just did? I knocked so and so down. You lying? Yeah, I did. I'm telling everybody on the team, and then I'm gonna leave you alone. And then you're going to mess with another guy, then another guy. And so I give them scenarios and how it goes when you get to college. Don't make that mistake. You get one body. If I buy you a car, brand new car, you will take care of that car like it's the end of the world. But you're going to have multiple cars, but you'll run your one body in the ground. Go figure. Right. So treat your body like you treat that first car you get. And uh, and on this segment of what we'll call like get, getting real with TJ, the the takeaway for especially our dads out there is I've said this numerous times. Um, you know, you love the game and you want to talk about hitting, and you want to talk about things, but talk about life with your daughters. Like like make sure, especially the last two or three years uh, of high school, that you're that you're socially in tune with. I know it's uncomfortable, but you're better off facing it and dealing with it and talking about some things and getting an idea so that you're not. So I have dealt with, uh, I'm going to say close to 10 sexual assault situations in 20 wow. something years of, of coaching. And the hardest part about those, and this goes back to like the nineties is the hardest part about that is that the young lady had no one to talk to. And so she didn't feel comfortable. She certainly wasn't going to tell dad. She knew what was going to happen. And so reaching out and saying, Hey, this is what happened because then there was a choice of where maybe someone didn't talk to them about, you know, drinking, how much to drink, if you're going to drink this or that. And now, so it becomes this kind of this ugly thing. And then there's this stigma attached to the girl. And in the end, it still goes back to getting real with them, TJ. So a lot of times they're, they're topics that we don't want to think about, but think about the education we really want our kids to have. And you're going to thank somebody, especially when they come from in the know about what's going on to say, look, you know, what you did is you gave her information that now without that information, she wouldn't have that first question of knowing that intention that you painted from the reality of being a ball player. Because we know this, when they when they get dropped off the first day at school at college, they're the freshies checking in. Oh, everybody. And every, every everybody. team knows every girl. And that's not to freak you dads out. It's, it's, it, this is, this goes you know what they're doing now, Tony? Game. It's before you get to college now. Because of social media. They know um, who's coming in. So-and-so from Huntington Beach has put on her page, I am a Texas commit. So the football players and basketball players that go to Texas. I already know oh, she's coming. Oh, let me see her. Oh, she cute. Let me follow her. Right. So I already know who she is right. before she gets and there. And I'm glad she's on your team. And, and so, so it's like, I'm, for me, if you're going to put a, your girl on my team, it's my responsibility because we spend so much time with them. To talk once, about life. Yeah. Like, at this age, right. they can play softball. Right. But they, they, what's self-preservation and, and really going to keep their, you know, when somebody loses their, and, and this is the, one of the things that we deal with mostly, whether we wanted to or not, if you don't, you're in trouble, the emotional component of working with young females. And so once a, a person in general, but a young female loses her self-worth, self-value, that's, that's a bad game, man. And that's, and that's the ultimate battle that we're fighting because it's a distorted line of value. So, so that, that's an important thing. And I think, I, I think I'd, I'd like to get together and, and really just talk about you know, issues like that because that's a, to me it's a whole other conversation. I want to swing it back over to you know, the perception and kind of what happens on the field. I have had conversations with a... Um, a, uh, the umpires in our game and the umpires in our game generally speaking haven't had a chance to get to know you so most of their experiences and I'll generalize so you tell me if it's different you've had a couple guys you spoke with but most of them hadn't had a chance to get to know you understand you so they're displaced and when their experiences are from the softball end of it and just kind of what happens in that moment between the toss or whatever happens and they're not sure how to take it i've experienced a couple guys tj that that were upset 
afterwards because it, it bothered him to a point to where they got emotional. And I would tell him, He's, he doesn't want that. And that's not the relationship he wants with you. He doesn't want you. And it's not about being weak or strong or anything. It's not that. It's like you don't understand TJ. And so you're, you're taking it. And they take all the heat. And they take almost like a player doesn't know how to take coaching. And so there's a place for our umpires that still I want them to be able to get to know who you are. So in the end, there's that relationship. So in the end, it's like, hey, Bob, you had to do what you had to do. You tossed me. And I, I get that. The, but they don't know you that. And so part of even, I, we might have two umpires that watch this, but that's something that I want. What would you say to umpires and what do you want them to know about the perception? Because they don't know how deep it runs generally. And then they, they're not sure about this. Is it a fear? Is it a, and it's not where it needs to be, but there's a place to go with them, TJ, to where everything will still play out. You talked about where you were three years ago, four years ago, but I want them to get to know TJ a little bit so they, they know how to take everything. Maybe I'm wrong. If I feel like I deserve to get thrown out, I don't say anything. I might say, like, whatever I said to get thrown out, I'm, if I feel like you threw me out for no reason, then after I get thrown out, then I'm going to say something. Right. Because I feel like, prime example, this past summer we're playing the game. At the coin flip, <clears throat> the umpire said to me, or one of them, it was three umpires, at the coin flip, are we going to have to throw you out? I said, why would you ask me that? <laughs> at the coin flip right like so you're already going in there with a preconceived yeah. notion about how you're going to handle now, and anything I, and i see it as okay for as long as games have been going on umpires have been umpiring coaches have been getting kicked out for years upon years but you're coming in with a John Wayne persona into our culture that is and stronger. It's stronger and bigger than what they've seen, TJ. So I, right away, they're, they're, they've got this because they don't know, right? They don't know how to. So now there's no guidelines of, and now this guy's going to set the line right away. So like you get it at umpire, that point. You know what it is, Tony? A lot of them, because they're in control, they want you to know they're in Like if I'll say, say for instance, come on, Blue, what was that? He If he says something... I'm cool with it, but they'll say, don't say another word. Dude, don't talk to me like that. Right. He could come to me after the inning and be like, blah, blah, blah. I got you. Now I'm going to be cool with him the rest of the game just because how he approached me. And I laugh because the dynamics of the game is it, that that doesn't play out as it should Tony, a lot of the time because it's the badge. And from the, from the coin flip to the end of the game, they have that say. So the hardest thing to do is eat it during the game, not be exited, and then in between games, it's so hard it's, for me. Let's because... have a conversation about. So what I asked you was a clarification of the rule, and you got mm -hmm. heated because of this. So it, go back to what I said earlier. My upbringing, nobody like I don't deal with like aggressive. If you get aggressive with me, I'm getting aggressive right back. Right. That's all I know. Now, but now what you have is you have officials that get this alpha aggressiveness Dude, in a game, yes. but they don't come from the street. So I guess kind of what I'm explaining is, let's say they, they came from a, a, a regular childhood and now off the field, when they no longer have this, they don't have the badge, they don't have the control, and they're human and they're, 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 they're affected Dude, by Dude, I've had TJ. some good umpires that just say, TJ, this is what I saw. You might've saw it different, but this is what I saw. And I might not agree with him, but I walk but away from that, that and I'm right? like, dude, I fucks with him. I like him as yeah. an umpire. Whether he was right or wrong, he called me down. appreciate it. I appreciate right. the fact right. that he came over after the yeah. inning, yeah. told me what he saw. I told him what I saw. We agreed to disagree, but it was very respectful. That's it. But some, they just, they try to get real tough with you. And that part of it bothers me right. because... I'm not trying well, to argue. You're I, right. I don't want to argue with you. I'm trying to coach my team, whether we win or lose, and we're done. And we all have stories of of, you know, how big the sheriff badge is uh, immediately as soon as the game. You know, those rules have been established. So I think that's that's part of it. You know, you you also have learned, you know, how much more effective it is to walk out to an umpire, and ask a question and get appeal as opposed to yelling from the dugout, which is, again, a point for all coaches to kind of understand that the way that you communicate in the heat of the moment and, again, with this learned behavior. And then what happens is, uh, you know, I, I, would, I would see it getting to a point to where we reduce the times 
that you're being shown the door when we really don't need to, we can kind of reroute that. But then the two or three times that you need to make a statement for your team, because that's what ends up getting lost too, that, that when you need to make a statement for your team, that's, and it's not just over the call. There are times when getting kicked out for the right reason may, may inspire your team. It may send it, it's just a little bit different. It doesn't get lost in the moment. So you're just spending less shells, shooting less bullets. Yeah. At this point in time, I don't want to get kicked out anymore. Cause I think it's like, up uh, when is when is it gonna happen? When is it gonna happen? And like I try now, like once I got kicked out in the summer, I stopped going to the coin flip. Like somebody else go, I'm not gonna go. I don't even want to establish a relationship with them. I'm not gonna even talk to them. I'm not gonna say a word. And I'll be sitting in the dugout and I'll be like, You're not gonna talk to us? And I'm like, oh, See, like, but again, it's that it's that little thing where they want to get to know you, and, and, I, and I don't want preference. I don't it, right? want preferential treatment. But I've I've literally I'm going to call it depth to the relationship, just like your team knows you. I've you know? seen coaches, and this is probably where it stems from that have been coaching travel ball a long time, cuss umpires out to no end unethically, right? And I've literally seen the umpires just look at them and not say one word. Not say this happened. I got thrown out in PGF this year. That same game, that coach cussed the umpire out. He didn't say a word to him. I was watching it in the outfield, and I'm like, he threw me out because I said that's a terrible call, and he threw me out. First thing I had said to him all game, and he threw me out. You got that mo. And I said, uh, yeah, wow. This coach cussed him out later on in the game. And he said, that's enough. Really? And so I like to me, when I see that, it may it like it so, doesn't so add now up. you've got this anticipated behavior. All right. So I'm gonna lay this in front of you. You got this anticipated behavior. And what's gonna happen is there's gonna be a situation where typically in the past you, you've reacted a certain way, and now you don't. And now just like you said, because you're not gonna talk to us, and then after the game, there'll be one that goes, Hey, thanks. And then little by little, you'll, you'll realize that as that relationship develops, uh, I've had, I've learned through having the right type of teachers and mentors, how to approach umpires and my blood boils as much as the, like I told you, the, the, the guy at recess and couldn't tolerate things. And, uh, you know, you really want to, I've never been kicked out of a game. I'm back on the field this year and I will more likely than not be kicked out of my first game because of the slapping rule. You know, and that's just a conversation. It's a different conversation because it's it's. You want to talk about tiptoeing into. At what point do we have a conversation about what needs to be spoken about? Because we know what can happen after she's out of the box, and you make the call. That's not the time for the conversation. But there's a conversation that needs to be had. So where I am in the political arena, that's one of the areas where you want to. I have to tread lightly and find the opportunity because the bottom line is there's a principle principle on this. And that's a whole other discussion. I mean, you look, so you're man, talking slapping. You know? I mean, at your level, girls are throwing low 60s at the slowest. How are you watching all of this, seeing her foot? The line is already gone by the second inning. So it's how, a, it's how a, are you navigating through all of this to say she's over the line? And right. How can you right. see that? And then we get the perception that it's a hunt. You know, it's a hunt. Like it, like we're, we're, we're going to see, it seems to be, so in all fairness to you umpires, it seems to be like there's almost like, uh, and maybe it's subconscious. Tony, but, but I literally it would be like a legal pitch and things like I that. I literally now, when I get slappers on my team, I have this rule now that I just kind of created for myself. If you're under five seven, you can't slap. You can't slap. Okay. Because you cannot hit that screwball or that outside pitch cleanly. You cannot hit it without stepping over the line. Right. And if you do hit it cleanly. Two things have happened. You stepped over the line or she put it right down the middle. Interesting observation. Now, if you're 5'7", you can get to it because your limbs. Anything under 5'7", you can't hit that ball. So I tell the umpires now, like, she's short. She's not going to be able to hit. I'm putting it in his head now. She's not tall enough to hit that outside pinch, Blue. Right. And because that's how I – there's no way she can square that up without stepping over the line. There's no way. Right. There, there will be. Uh, I will, I will, I will predict this. As I don't as, even take slappers now, Tony. I don't even want them anymore. See, now, you got to swing away. Now I'm going to go TJ mode and go fuck that man. We're not letting. We're not letting this change. What? So I, I don't want to. I don't want to go there. So, so what I look forward to is as this depth 
uh, is uh, as our officials are able to find that uh, uh, I, this is all going to balance out, you know, where a part of this is a learning curve for a lot of things. I like when something disturbs the balance uh, for the right reasons and then it rebalances because without that, you know, we get really, really comfortable. So, so, and I can even say even with a slapping roll, there's, there's for the part of it that's, you know, the conversation that's not good about it, the, the benefits of it and how that can happen. And in the end, how about this, that when we realize, and you're, you're part of the corporate TV world now, when we realize that we're growing a sport together and Fox or ESPN or nobody wants to put the amount of money into something that they're watching something not be enjoyable. So whether it's officials calls or whatever it is, like in the end, if you and I are front money for this music show for anything, we don't want a production, someone to stop for sound. We don't want to stop for this. Like there's got to be a flow to the show. And you know what's and crazy? You, and you don't get in the way of the flow. And that's for coaches, uh, umpires. That's a general statement. Let the game play out. And I don't want to get thrown out because when I see somebody get thrown out, and on another field and they act a fool, I'm like, bro, was it that serious? Like, chill out. So See, I know the people get to hear you say So it. I, I know right. they're looking at me like, this dude's an idiot. Like, what's wrong with him? So can and we so like I don't want to get thrown out. I'm just just so like, do they think I go into a game like with the agenda that you're going to and I and no. with the opportunity I'm gonna yeah, the, but that, no. good, that's Captain Obvious, right? That's and that's and that's Tony, that's, I don't make a dollar off of softball when I've had opportunity to make thousands of dollars off of softball. Yeah. I don't make a dollar off of this, and I'm okay with that. And, and so I do it because my daughters got me into it. The girls on my team, I care about them. Do you see yourself coaching? Uh, my daughter goes to college next year, and I'll still coach. Yeah. Um, because and you have the flexibility now to, to take off the time that you needed to go see and play. So. And, and so it, it's... I have a, some 21s on my team. And people think, and I tell people all the time, and people think I'm lying. If my kids are good enough to play on Tony Rico's team and they want to play, they can go. Like people think, oh, you get mad. No, motherfucker, excuse my language. I don't. But now you've seen the reciprocation told, of that too, of I that there, there the, is no, you know. No, like if you want to go play, like I, it doesn't bother me. Right. Like when kids leave my team, I had a girl leave my team this past summer because she wasn't playing, and I thought she should have left. I told her dad, if you need help finding a team, I'll help you. Yeah. I think you should leave because she'll play more. Right. And I'll help. There's no, I don't like, no, it's just so. I, and in the end, they if can I win see, every game, what is a bigger it picture? And they're going to see that, look, her growth and development, this is going to sound funny to a lot of parents, it's not always about the playing time. And, and understanding that, look, if she's not on the field, so we were fortunate enough in the past to have situations where we had 15 to 17 great players, they were all starters. So what makes that lineup when you have 17 all-stars? Uh, the lineup still makes itself. So the lineup still makes itself. The harder they can make our job, the better job they've done. But in the end, and the lineup And do they not understand itself. you as a coach? When you look at it, you say, wow, only nine can hit. <laughs> How are we going to do this? Do they not line. understand? Right. Like, right. At least for me, I care. It bothers me when a girl deserves to play, but she probably won't because somebody deserves just a smidge more. Right. And it's like, it bothers me. It's a me. good, tough situation to have as a coach. You know, it's a good, tough one. Parents got to understand. The importance of having those conversations on the front end because you keep the balance with those conversations. I try to be as brutally honest as, as right. I can. But if you're on my team, you're going to play. Right. Because that's why you're on my team. Right. You might not play when it matters, but you're going to play to show me that you deserve to play when and it matters. And that's an important point because we're a 12-month-a-year sport. And in the end, every kid's getting 100, 150 at-bats. Every kid's yeah. getting 100-plus innings to pitch. So in the end, all year is really determining kind of what happens in the in the summertime. A couple years ago, you were in here, uh might have been two or three, and it was beginning of the season like it is now. And I had um, told you to – I gave you a goal of uh, two ejections all, all year. I said – TJ, I'm going to challenge you to. I don't think I got kicked two. out that whole year. Shut up. You did That too. whole year. No. Last year, I got kicked out in Colorado. I got kicked out in PGF. There was the only two times I was kicked out all last year, and it was all within the span of three so, weeks. So do we keep it at two? Yeah, like in the fall, the games don't matter enough. So I was just like, I might say something slick to an umpire when you, the team is playing bad and you're mad at the girls. 
And so I used to get on them. Now I get on umpires. <laughs> so I'm going to teach you. Some, so it's easy. Yeah. I'm going to teach you some baseball jargon, and the, it, there it's it's ways to speak that you learn from the inside the game where it's actually acceptable, and you can actually get your point across. You can actually say the same thing that you did when you motherfuck somebody, and you just say it a little different. And it's just this, there's some of these traditional things, and in the end, they appreciate it when you took that road, but you're still saying that was horseshit bob like you know you're, you're still making the same point but there's these subtle ways you know you've heard of these things of uh and and again you don't see it as much nowadays but batters used to never look at look at the umpire so in the big leagues a, a batter could look down at the ground and just go now you just see them looking and flipping their hands up i mean it's 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 different now the behavior nowadays but there's i have fun with it because in the end when you can get someone to appreciate that you took a different approach it builds a stronger relationship. We're all here to help our kids. We're all here to yeah. help our team. So the stronger relationship we have with umpires, tournament directors, opposing coaches, right? Opposing families of other players, whether they play with you or not, just treating people with respect. In the end, it all benefits our teams. And it uh, and it's it's something, TJ, I wanna, I keep, my crusade is to professionalize our world, not to take the passion out, not to take the things that make us individual and, and different, but, I, I don't want your kids to have the same parenting world as the parents right now where, where there's a lot of things that need to be built. <clears throat> so these conversations about the reality of things, and I think it's great that people have got to hear the story, the narrative of TJ, because it's it's you came in a guns a-blazing, and I'm very proud and thankful that you've chosen to stay here because just like your team, the door's always been open here. Everyone, you know, asked for this and that, but it's it's a it's a, a respectful relationship built over time. And to watch this play out and to see where it is, it's very good for our sport. And the fact that we get people thinking is great. Think about this backstory, and then the lesson to everybody else is, who are you and who are you on the softball field? Who are you as a parent? Who are you as a coach? Uh, the bottom line is there aren't enough people that are being real with our kids in the right way, teaching them the things that, that are about real life out there, and and then taking responsibility for themselves. The biggest takeaway that I have from this is something I knew already from, from our relationship, and that is, man, you get it. Like, even when you were hustling, you know, as a young person, you had ethics to what you're doing. And yeah. that part will continue to, to, to be the backbone of what you do, and... Uh, I'm going to sit here with the front row seat and enjoy watching you do everything that you believe you can do and you're going <laughs> to do because why doubt somebody when they have a state of mind and they've accomplished things. So to be honest with you, watching your success or watching that, you know, you see a little pop in here and that, but it's been really, really cool. So really appreciate your time. And then, you know, uh, gosh, it's kind of cool because we really don't get this, but as far as like, what do you have going on right now? Where can people see you? You're, you're, you've got your Fox show. So tell That's me quickly it, really? where they can see you because our dad's, uh, just on, I work at Fox FS1. Um, what shows are you on? You've Colin been, Coward, and then regularly speak for yourself. This week is, I'm off every day this week. I got to go in Thursday, Friday this week, last minute. But uh, speak for yourself, and then I do Fox Sports Radio. Now, is speak for yourself, you're new? Speak for yourself. I've been doing that. That's what got me into Fox. Okay. Um, it was with Colin Coward and Jason Whitlock. Yeah. Colin Coward went off. They brought Marcellus Wiley on. So that comes on every day, 12 to 1.30. I'm on that show. And then I got my own radio show that just started last week uh, on Fox Sports Radio, 10 to 1 every Saturday. And so that kind of came about, you know, recently in the last week or two. And so you're having fun with that and enjoying yeah, that? It's, you had it's, your it's cool. It's just like what we're doing, really. Um, it's, so really uh, the value is because like, it's like softball football you know you know what's going on you stay up to date what's going on and plus you have an inside track on things and you know how to present things uh creatively and and to keep it interesting and i just try to be authentic to stir i try it up to, a little bit try to be yourself um when it comes to athletes because i was one try not to make it um personal because i wouldn't want anybody to make it personal with me but there, there's times you have to um but i but i try not try not to make it personal right um, but I try to be as authentic as I can. Yeah, uh, it's fun. I like it. Yeah, pretty awesome. And it comes easy. Yeah, at, at least <laughs> I don't know if it comes. Hardest easy. part is probably the drive. By far, <laughs> that traffic on the right. four hundred five. At least I hope people thinks it looks easy. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, appreciate your time, man, coming in and and kind of sharing things. And, and yep, no problem. Be appreciate fun to watch you. this year. All right. Thanks, TJ. Yes, sir. All right. We'll see you guys next time.